Welcome to the podcast of Thank God It's Friday. I'm Richard Glover, and as you may have noticed, our TGIF regular, Tommy Dean, has been missing from our panel. He's back in America for a couple of months. And while we've missed him on TGIF, he's instead been joining us with a weekly letter from America. So if you're keen on catching up with him, stay listening at the end of this podcast for Tommy Dean's Letter from America. But first, this week's TGIF. We would like to advise that the following program may contain adult themes, occasional nudity, and language that may offend some listeners. Thank God it's... Welcome to the Lindley Evans Music Studio at the ABC in Ultimo for Thank God It's Friday with the music this week. It's Dog Trumpets, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Richard Glover and let's meet the panel. Carlo Ritchie, Subby Valentine, Gretel Colleen. And our audience this week drawn from Kiama, Tumut, Goulburn, Melbourne, Brisbane and Ultimo. First, the news from nowhere, and in honour of our band, Dog Trumpet, this week's news from nowhere comes from my dog, Clancy, who once again has written (laughs) with all his news. Dear Mum and Dad, it's your puppy Clancy riding from the city. Celebrations have been raging here for my birthday. I'm turning four, which seems an excellent age, although according to man and lady, this must be multiplied by seven in order to ascertain my age in human years. I've always thought this system was total rubbish, and yet they persist with it. When I was one year old, they told me I was seven in human years. At the time, I knew some human seven-year-olds. They were pleasant enough, but entirely unfocused. Give them a mob of sheep to round up, and they'd have lost interest after five minutes. They'd have been slumped at the edge of the paddock, probably picking their noses playing Minecraft on their laptops, while I'd be left to do all the work, leaping and twirling with aplomb. Then, when I turned two, it was all, ah, Clancy, you are a real teenager now. Teenager? What? Was I mooning around writing bad poetry? Was I standing in front of the mirror, pushing my fur one way and then the other, before sighing heavily? Was I suddenly talking endlessly about Margaret Atwood, George R.R. Martin and other authors... I'd never read. (laughs) Not guilty, Your Honour. Yet I'm labelled a teenager. Name me the 14-year-old who you'd allow to mind the house. Or the 14-year-old who'd be more than happy to fetch his own dinner. Just leave the ingredients within reach. Or the 14-year-old willing to sit there giving companionship for hours on end while man or lady watch TV programmes along the lines of The Masked Singer... An entertainment so dire that my IQ drops ten points between each ad break. <laughs> Sorry, Gretel. So rude. <laughs> so rude. I'm just reading it. Yeah. I'm just reading it. Uh, and on those nights I've been left alone in the house, I wonder how many wild parties I've decided to hold at the last minute, teenager style, inviting 93 close friends via the medium of WhatsApp leading to the arrival of 415 close friends who will variously throw up on the lounge suite, break the toilet seat and steal the sound system. Give me a moment to count how many parties I've organised. That's right, zero. 
Next up, when I was turning three, there was much talk of a 21st party. Three times seven equal... Suddenly, the multiply by seven system seemed to have its advantages. I'd heard a description of a recent 21st birthday and started daydreaming of what that might involve. It would probably be like Lucy's, a 1970s disco-themed party with everyone dressed up in wigs and spangly tops while staying alive, blasted out on the dance floor. I guess there'd be a good spread, just as Lucy and her friends enjoyed, with lots to eat and drink and then some terrific speeches. In my case, I imagined, man would deliver the humorous tale of how I'd once chewed man's favourite boots, but that's all forgotten now and what a fine chap I've turned out to be and really they scored the lottery of life when they got me and how about we all sing a rousing chorus of For He's a Jolly Good Dog. (laughs) But breaking news... The big day arrives, no party, no friends, no speeches, just one dried pig's trotter, a tickle under the chin and a new soft toy, totally ripped off. Speaking of which, what's with the soft toys? Another one arrived this week to mark my fourth birthday, or as they seem to think, my 28 years old birthday. It's a weird-looking monkey that squeaks loudly when you bite it. A feature that is a fair distance from entertaining. My attempts to play with it in the backyard have failed to augment my popularity with the (laughs) neighbours. As it happens, 28 is the same age as man and lady's younger son who, for his birthday, was given a cheese-making kit, a new doona and some live chickens for his backyard. I could have used all of those. (laughs) Especially the chickens. It hardly seems fair, this difference in presence. A point I made with some elegance by digging a hole and burying the squeaking monkey. Man appeared annoyed by the large earthworks in the middle of the back lawn, but I spotted a look of gratitude from the couple next door. (laughs) How long will this multiply by seven system continue? When I'm eight, I'll be close in human years to man, which frankly leaves me depressed. (laughs) Will I really be like him, making strange noises when moving from a prone to upright position? (laughs) Will my interest in human society be limited to earnest discussions of the franking credit system? Will I suddenly be found 8pm on a Saturday night calculating whether one should watch a long show on the TV or a short show on the TV given the need to go to bed by (laughs) 9.45? Spare me. Still, there are advantages. By age nine, I'll be 63 in human years and eligible for a New South Wales seniors card, (laughs) providing all sorts of discounts. The only cash, you have to work less than 20 hours a week, so I'll have to cut back on my digging. And by 15, I'll be 105 in their system, at which point they might finally treat me with a little bit more respect. My only question, should I expect a telegram? from the Queen's. <laughs> Hope all is well in the country. Love, Clancy. And that's the news from nowhere. <laughs> uh, we have Carla Ritchie, Sally Valentine and Gret- it is Gretel Clint. It's a strange system, isn't it, that multiply by seven. You can see why he's annoyed mm. by it. I don't think the telegram will come from the Queen. It will come from the Queen's corgis. Ah, mm. of course. Wouldn't it? Yeah. He's a bit insulting about your show, though, I thought, Gretel. I, so yes, I... my show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and well, I you take... featured on episode one. I did. I was on for one and a half minutes. And <laughs> what a one and a half minutes they were. That's seven and a half minutes in dog years. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> so it's ten and a ten half. Ten and a half, yeah. <laughs> 
right, I'll be alone yeah. on the panel today. Because <laughs> the other two are idiots. They don't teach. They don't teach. They don't teach massing, Ben Innes. Have you noticed this? Uh, will not work for anyone listening on the radio. But how like the cast of a war movie do these two look? Yeah. Yeah. We, Can you post a photo? Not with yeah, me in it, but it's bizarre. For those listening at home, we really shouldn't have worn these World War One replica <laughs> uniforms. So it's, you shouldn't have worn those. Rifle down. You shouldn't yeah. have worn those World War One faces. Yeah. <laughs> One That's, of them is going to be hurled into the trenches. Yeah, no, they, be they you, look good. You're better looking. They look good. Um, Pointed at Sonny. <laughs> yeah. yeah Sorry about that. Thanks. <laughs> Let's check you up with this week's news. Who's, who is showing low interest in low interest? Well, this is all of us, Australians, because uh, despite the low interest rates, we're not consuming. Uh, it's not driving us to get out there and buy stuff, which the, I the, say... The lowest retail figures since the 1990s. Hallelujah, I say. Hallelujah. Well, you know, you know me, Richard. I, I haven't bought. I don't. I have a rule. I don't buy any new clothes. Uh, I'm only secondhand. I don't. I that's don't why the night. That's why World War One. Exactly shows. right. <laughs> exactly right. That's that's. It does come off that way, but it's it's a great thing. So all of a sudden, finally, I'm in the zeitgeist because I was just that tight guy, and now I'm just like an environmental warrior. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm getting in there. I'm yeah. doing the right thing. So it's not just me now. Everybody else is doing it, and I say hooray. Yeah. Forget your spending. Don't worry about it. And when it. people say, oh, Dad, you're just so tight, you say, I am David Attenborough. Exactly. You know, exactly right. I'm, I'm a, uh, I am Greta. <laughs> exactly. So I'm, it's, I'm all for it. Yeah, but it is a problem, though, for the economy, because well, how, where, yeah. how are we going to generate jobs in this true. trusting yeah. modern economy mm. if it's we can't disgusting. spend? It's oh, disgusting. It on. is disgusting, don't you think? <laughs> no, I just clearly don't. <laughs> how dare people pay off their debts and mortgages? Mm. How dare they? They are <laughs> selfish, selfish people. And some people have tried to blame Marie Kondo. Mm. Now, yeah, I, I saw that, yeah, because she says you should only have objects that spark joy. Mm. Yes. Now, I took this quite broadly, of course, cleaned out the wardrobe, cleaned out the kitchen, but then I cleaned out my relationships, <laughs> got rid of some friends and some lovers. And if I just looking at the live audience here, some of you should get rid of your partners. <laughs> Not much No, no, just have a look at him or her and say, do you spark joy? Do you spark joy? (laughs) Without doubt, 50% of you are going to think not the word I was thinking of. That's a pretty tough ask, isn't it? (laughs) The country's going down the tubes if we're using that, I'm telling you right now. What about about spark a lack of active hostility? Isn't that enough? Or spark neutrality. (laughs) No, no, it's just don't do it because the problem with the Marie Kondo theory is that it denies human nature, which is that you will then buy another piece of crap uh-huh. that you think sparks joy, and then you will bring that into your house. But won't and so that happen with your evolution. relationships now you've cleaned them all out? Yes, it has, and I've filled it up with other <laughs> horrible, horrible people. But may I just say also, but hot, may I just, <laughs> may I just say that what they're not factoring in here is it's November. And people are not buying in November, and you'll relate to this because you're a tight ass, aren't you? It's people. Just say the word ass. They can still hear the word ass. (laughs) So I didn't know what our rating was, but the point is that people with anyone with any intelligence doesn't buy in November. You wait until December 26, and that doesn't matter whether it's Christmas presents or food. You buy it. When the sales begin, so the just day start, after begin Christmas. starving in November yes. for the next eight. You're too young to know about. But this. you can't buy your Christmas <laughs> presents on Boxing Day. Yes, you can. How, I, how do you I've do that? I've started a new thing. Yeah. 
Is that the tradition? No, it's not going well, but I've started it. You change all the clocks and calendars in the house. In you the know. world. <laughs> so, so, um, Gretel's right in a way. Australians were criticised like hell about five years ago because they were spending crazily and yeah. building up household debt. Now they're being criticised for the fact that they're paying off their mortgages. Mm. You can't, can't get us right, you know. Josh! Well, otherwise... The government will have to take the blame and we can't have that, no. can we? So let's blame the people. And, right. and also they're used by date for blaming the Labor Party That's has exactly. expired and yeah, they, right. now they don't know yeah. what to do. So it's Gretel's fault. Yeah. <laughs> it's Carlo, how are we going to get these people spending? Look, I, you know, uh, just a good pat on the back. Uh, I couldn't really think of a solution for this problem. I really scratched my head over it all afternoon. I thought, how are we going to get people spending? And then I just... Well, you could, you could buy some dandruff cream for a start. Oh, goodness if you're gracious. If you're scratching your head all the time. Oh, okay. I thought you were just having a go at me standing above me like that, Richard. It could I thought be it was next. some obscure sort of World War I reference. I did too. Was, I was, I was, I was like, what? It, brill cream? No, it, was head, it was a head scratching. So just a few more insults. Uh, we'll really get people generated. I'm only going to buy dandruff cream now. Yeah. But, well, have yeah. you not stopped purchasing things? Maybe you're not the target market for Yeah, this. but I just never stop. I buy something every day. Just buy a little something here, a little like something a lunch. there. Oh, yeah, yeah. lunch, yeah. a new hat, uh, <laughs> an old hat, a hat full of lunch. Um, you just see what you can do. Right, problem solved. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah. Josh Frydenberg is very relieved to know that Carlo is on his side. Uh, who has told her courtiers that from now on they should fake it when they make it? What's well, this about? Well, this is, of course, the Queen yep. uh, who has now taken a no-fur policy in mm. her wardrobe and from now on any new additions to the Queen's wardrobe can only have faux-fur. Faux-fur. Um, only faux-fur for Her Majesty. Yeah, so any, any new additions. So yeah. all of the hundreds and hundreds of <laughs> other right. outfits that are still stocked <laughs> in the wardrobe, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just anything new. Maybe they'll have a garage sale. Would the Queen have a garage sale? Yeah. That'd be worth going to, wouldn't it? So that's my second-hand thing coming home to roost again. Yeah. Get around the Queen's place, she'd have some top stuff. Right? A bit of texture on cardboard out the front of Buckingham yeah, Palace. fantastic. Yeah. I love it. It's a bit layered, though, isn't it? I mean, they still do hunting and they hunt foxes and grouse and I don't know the origin of the diamonds that are worn, whether they are blood diamonds or, or their origin is all authentic and, and good. So some people did say, should she continue to wear these? I said, build a museum for all of the fur that is genuine and we can just have an homage to creatures of the world that have been sacrificed mm. for greed and vanity of humans. So that was but, pretty funny. But if it's already been made and killed and made, don't you think she could, could still keep wearing it? No, I don't. But I think the bigger <laughs> issue here... And let's all have a think about it. The Queen is 93. Now, she's not only come out with this fur situation, but she also recently revealed a photo of herself with her hands in her pockets laughing. Now, who changes themselves at 93? Okay, there is only if something drastic has happened in your life. I don't have the answer to this, I'm just flagging it. Well, she's it. never been in trousers and with her hands in her pocket laughing. You think about men in advertising. I mean, from my day when I was doing voice artists, those men are still wearing a ponytail and high-waisted denim jeans and you name it. Some of the grown men I know still dress like they're 15. You know, the upturned collar and the boat shoes, totally gross. But anyway, they're dressing like that. So what made this... What made the Queen turn? I say something mammoth has happened in her life or she has fallen in love. Oh. Just putting it out there because we all know it's either disaster or love that change your behaviour. But all you've got to do is put your hands in your pockets and you've fallen in love. <laughs> no, it, you see, you have been married a long time. Um, <laughs> no, I'm sparking just... joy for the Queen, clearly. <laughs> Don't you agree? I, I mean, well, the well, we've just got to wait until the Crown Series 15 and we'll find out. So it's <laughs> simple. <laughs> 
That's, that's how it works now. Maybe. That is such a male response. <laughs> it, it, Embellish. It, it's interesting, like, you know, the Queen's life is so controlled, you know, everything that she does and everything that she says is very you know, manicured to a degree. I wonder if perhaps she's just been given pockets recently. Yes. You know, maybe they're like, yes. you know what, let's yeah. give the Queen somewhere yeah. to carry things. <laughs> exactly. Which raises yeah. the question why. Because <laughs> she, doesn't have, she doesn't carry any money, you know. That's part that's of right. it. So part it's just instead of a handbag. Yeah. But I think she just needs to... This is a great start. Getting rid of the fur is a great start, but she just needs to let go a little bit more. The pockets is a great example. I want to see her doing the Christmas speech in the trackies. You know what I mean? Like, really, just go the whole hog. Go the Queen, just yeah. hanging out, just curlers in, having a durry, you know, yeah. the full... <laughs> Really, you know, just, well, she, she's not afraid. She, she could be up there in the, in the castle having a bit of me time or, in her case, we time. <laughs> she can do whatever yeah. she wants because she's the queen. So this is just the first step. I know you're right. Something's, something Something's great's happening. happening. She, can, she, can, she can go off. <laughs> yeah, she's the queen. She can do what she wants. Final question from this week's news. What service is so popular people are dying to join? Uh, the this Living is, Funeral. This is from Korea, yeah, from South, South Korea. Korea. South Korea. Tell the story. Well, apparently, if you want to really appreciate your life now, uh, you participate in the living funeral uh, where you lie in a coffin uh, and take funeral portraits and you pen your last testaments. And, and they close the... This is so 25,000... This is a big trend. 25,000 people have done it. It may, makes you appreciate life, apparently. They actually close the lid of the coffin oh, for a while. close the lid? Yeah. Wow. Have you ever well, heard of anything more stupid? <laughs> and, like, how stupid is that? I went... Well, there was one more stupid thing. Once when I was in London years ago, there was a restaurant uh, where you couldn't see the food. Well, it was so dark. Yeah, no, you, I mean, it was on purpose. Yeah. People escorted you in and you sat yeah, down yeah. and some strange man was ma- grabbing my leg. to make your sensory perception yeah. of... Yeah, which made you realise that the food was crap. <laughs> Absolute crap. But it's not... I mean, there are many ways to simulate death. Some slow plays will do that, (laughs) won't they? You know, you go to the theatre, think, oh, God, this must be what it's like. (laughs) (laughs) Lying in a coffin. I mean, have you ever used a public toilet on a bus travelling interstate? Have you ever tried to change a baby's nappy on a plane? That's coffin-like, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And what they're not... That makes you want to die. Yeah. And the other thing is part of this was to help people appreciate their lives and seek forgiveness and reconciliation with family and friends. Why do that now? Once again, December 26th. (laughs) Okay, after you've been with the family for Christmas, then you do this. And what's more, they've taken all the fun out of it because it's not lying in the coffin. It's the funeral that's the fun. Well, they do the funeral. People make speeches. Not on my question, That sounds like an absolute nightmare as well because imagine being in a room full of people and everyone's making speeches about you and all your friends are there and you can't say anything. Yeah. Or That's if, hell, isn't but it? They would say lovely things about you, Subby, at your funeral, I'm sure. Well, yeah, because I'm there, because I know I'm there. <laughs> That's the point. You want to get the real stuff. You have to have a proper death. That's Eat. the thing. You want to really fake it properly. And then, ta-da, come out of the coffin, really? start abusing people. That's Bust what you it. want to do. Start ripping into them. What so the want, hell are you talking about, mate? You, must you want to listen into the true conversations the true at conversa- the wake. Yes, yeah. none of this sort of nice yeah. speeches nonsense. You want to be milling yes, about. Yes, he was all right, but he did look like a World War I soldier. Exactly. <laughs> That's but, I know what Gretel will be saying. That's exactly right. But why leave it to chance? I will definitely be writing 
what everyone will be saying at my funeral. Scripting the whole thing. I will be no, scripting yeah. it. I will be casting it. None of my friends are good enough and none of my relatives are either. I reckon at your funeral, everyone should get up wearing, like, masks and no one know who they are. Oh, hilarious. And then the octopus and then bang! <laughs> it was a powerful one and a half minutes. <laughs> it resonates. Carla, do you want to be resonate. buried? Do you want to be uh, experience your funeral? Well, my worry would be, you know, if you were to go through like something with something like this and you plan the whole funeral, what if nobody comes? You know, they're like, well, I saw Carla last week and we're in pretty good terms. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to make the trip, you know. Um, That's a good point. And then you kind of come out and go, oh, who made it? Oh, that, that person didn't come. Or it's... And you've catered for 60. Yeah, you've, and then, yeah, and then you're eating all of the cake and smoked salmon by yourself. <laughs> Gee, smoked salmon, I'll come. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, suddenly, Greta and I are coming <laughs> yeah. to your funeral. Yeah. When is it? Yeah. December 26th. <laughs> yeah, December 26th. <laughs> Thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Friday with Richard Glover. Ladies and gentlemen, with us on Thank God it's Friday this week, Carlo Ritchie. He is performing in Urala next Friday night at Macrossan's Mill. Uh, the Bush comedian's going back home for a while to the to the northern tablelands. It'll be fun. That's right. Bring the laugh back to the back comedy to the, capital yes. of the northwest. The Urala at Macrossan's uh, Mill. Uh, with us also, Subby Valentine and Gretel Colleen, whose new book, The Zebra Who Lost Its Spots, is just out. Now, the actor Emma Watson has revealed that she doesn't like to describe herself as single, so instead uses the term... <clears throat> self-partnered. Do you like the idea of being self-partnered? And how have you put the best spin on things in your life, generally by coming up with some new names? Gretel Colleen. I'd just like to comment on this self-partnered situation. I think that's a terrible phrase. And I think it sounds lonely and weirdly sexual. And so I don't think we should do that. I think if you're going to make up something, you should do, like, conscious uncoupling. That was an excellent phrase. From yourself, though. From Hard Gwyneth. To achieve. Yes. Yeah. But this is the problem. I just say this to everyone who's single out there. Don't define yourself by the couple's paradigm because it makes you sound like someone who's trying to fit into yours. She should just use the word free or happy <laughs> or able to do whatever she wants. <laughs> just minor little things. I would like to say that she should also not limit herself to just one partner. It's very good to have a lot of partners. You don't call it dating, you call it auditioning. <laughs> I think that's good. And I think it's time that a lot of single women realise that this is a good idea because one good woman needs at least five men. Mm. That's well, just all, the math. All of whom spark joy at the rate of about 20%. That is actually accurate. <laughs> Put them together, 100% sparking of joy. I'm just putting it out there. So just a little positivity for all the single girls. Problem solved. Yeah. Subby, how do you... Do you... Yeah, well, look, I'm uh, the self partner thing is a bit. It does, feel, it does sound a bit weird, but I mean, if it sparks joy, good luck to her. Mm. I mean, you can self. But I mean, probably one partner's enough. If you self partner, can you do? If you've got multiple personalities, how many can you take on a few? I don't know how it works. Self polygamy. Yeah, yeah self polygamy. Yeah. Very nice. So yeah, but yeah, look, good luck to her. Uh, what do you say? Other words that we might have come up with? Well, look, you know, Richard, and we've discussed this many times that I'm. Uh, some people would say that I'm skinny. Mm. Never. And uh, no, it's terrible. Uh, I'm not skinny. I'm slim and healthy. Uh, I'm slothy, Richard. <laughs> that's the word. That's the word I'm going with. I'm slothy. Uh, I'm like one of those wiry sort of guys who into fitness and exercise and diet and exercise. I don't do the diet and exercise, but I'm slothy, so it's fine. Yeah. So people will hammer me for that, and that's fine. But that's that's the word I'm going for, and I'm sticking with it. You look like a bag full of spanners. I look like a bag of spanners. That's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> it's 
but you know, is that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing? <laughs> exactly. Self-equipped. <laughs> exactly right. Other words that I've come up with. Look, there is a school of thought, Richard, that I'm a bit lazy. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of people have said this. Uh, I'd give you a list, but I couldn't be bothered writing it. But uh, a lot of people have said this to me over the years. But I'm not. I'm uh, I'm relaxed and efficient. Yeah. I'm relaxient. Uh, and this is key because a lot of people think you're lazy, but it's just you're being efficient because you just don't do stuff that doesn't need to be done. That's the key, isn't it? Well, do other people do it for you? Uh, no. You just like don't... your wife? No. Just uh. stuff that doesn't need to be done, ironing. How do you burn off so many calories since you do nothing? It's tricky, isn't it? Well, what part of that is not eating enough, clearly. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just – it's fidgeting. So not actually achieving anything but moving all the time without doing anything. It's very rare and quite difficult to achieve. Yeah. But I've spent a publish, lot of time. You should I publish the fidget diet. I actually really should. <laughs> How it, I fidgeted my way to a, what was it? St- a slothy, slothy, slothy body. body. You don't, see, everyone is sitting there thinking, look at that guy. My legs are going nine to the dozen under the table. <laughs> I'm also, just I'm burning calories like you wouldn't believe just sitting here. But we don't know that you're healthy. We just uh, know that you're skinny. Yeah, well, no. No, no, because I'm slothy and it's in the word. Yeah, I think so I self-nominated slothy doesn't count. It Where's don't, your GP? <laughs> no. Well, that's the other crucial thing. You don't go to the doctor. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be silly. God forbid. Carlo, uh, what do you think of self-partnering and how else have you recast things to make your problems look better? It's funny, actually. The, when, the term self-partnering reminds me of when I was practising a one-man improv show when I was living in Berlin and I would spend a lot of the day just talking to myself and doing scenes with myself at home. So that's kind of like self-partnered in a way. Yes. You know? And it's not a great way to spend time, <laughs> let me tell you that. Um, I, I think of this one, I have uh, been a long uh, supporter of using self as opposed to un, so rather than unpartnered. Um, the classic one, of course, is self-employed. Um, yes. I've been, yes. it is a very, it's, I've been using that for a while. Yeah. And it's, well, what is uh, the difference between being unemployed and self-employed? The sense of direction, <laughs> I would say. It's also the word employed. That's true. Yeah. That's true. There's no un. Yeah. Mm. And you've got, and when you get rid of the un, oh boy, does it lift your day. I tell you, what. Uh, you go from zero to hero in a moment. That's nice. I like. I'll tell you what. Um, I, I think the one that I, the classic one I like to think of is you know. Rather than being drunk, for example, you know, you could be self-befuddled um, <laughs> or, or, or self-confused. <laughs> oh, I'm not drunk at all, just a little bit self-directionless. Um, so, yeah, I think yeah. That, those are my, my little schemers. They're excellent. I have one word which I did not make up, which I think no one should use. Yeah. Freelancer. Yeah. Oh. Because a lot of creative people use that term. And well, it goes back to the Middle Ages, doesn't it? But it, it's, it's the person with the lance who yeah, well, will sell I, themselves yeah. to King Arthur to, 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 to slay the dragon. That's but it, it sounds like you're kind of unemployed. And when you think about it, the same work environment exists for a plumber or a lawyer, anyone who doesn't have regular people there, and they don't call themselves freelancers. But you see, the difference is that I'm selling a lance. Um, <laughs> I, I've got a, a beautiful Destria. She's a great horse. And um, we're really a... ready to put it to the, put it to the European. Oh, so you're not self-partnered <laughs> yeah. at all. Yeah. Can, you be a self, can you be a self-lancer? Does that work? It's tough. Um, <laughs> you have to be very accurate. <laughs> all we've got is a person who needs to find a dinosaur and uh, it will be a, a, a dragon, I'm sorry, a dragon, and we'll be fine. Carla Ritchie is here, Subby Valentine and Gretel Clean. Are you ready for the Wheel of Death? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Uh, each week when our lovely audience comes into our little theatre here, they throw these random topics onto this chocolate wheel. Today's topics are baby boomers, red wine, surrogate, simmer, sinner, octopus, secret Santa, Melbourne, stingray, love, what's that says, man... Man, mangoes, ballet, roaring twenties, and philosophy. Which one fills you full of fear, Carlo Ritchie? I think philo- philosophy. Philosophy. Oh, yeah. Spelled with A U S. This in is the like middle. the tourism Australia. Yes. Yeah, yes. Well, let's see what comes up. Round and round and round it goes. From Gleninus, it is Carlo Ritchie taking on the topic of sinner. Who Whoa. was sinner? Very good. Sinner. Very well done. Sinner is your topic. Sinner. Sinner. Gosh, what a fun word to say is sinner. (laughs) I, for a very brief time in the year 2011, owned a very small spice business operating out of Chippendale. (laughs) And let me tell you this, it did not take off in the way that I imagined it. Gone are the halcyon days of the spice trade. Gone are the days when you can just ship spice around and call it gold. Uh, The Chippendale market was not ready for a small spice store. And I made a very, very pertinent mistake uh, in that spice business, and that is the ease at which which you can misspell some spices. Now, while most people (laughs) will stock, you know, mace, uh, cardamom, and importantly, cinnamon, I I stocked a very rare spice known as cinnamon. Uh, And let me tell you this, it is not a wonderful spice. Uh, The name might suggest something exotic, something dangerous, uh, something risque for the cooking aficionado. But cinnamon has with it a terrible curse. It was sold to me by an old woman on the side of the <laughs> side of the uh, on the side of uh, Well Street in Redfern. She told me under the full moon that if I took just a pluck of her cinnamon, I could make any dish as wondrous, but it would bear a terrible curse. I was already rushing away as she muttered that under her breath. So I did not take the old lady's mutterings to be the dark omen and indeed portent they would prove to be. And that night, as I brewed up, what would, I thought, be a wonderful red snapper curry. I I had macadamia nuts in it and everything. I had spared no expense. Uh, And with a tiny dash of cinnamon, I thought, well, here comes paradise, baby. But paradise, as wrote some of the great Latin writers of our time, is lost. Uh, (laughs) And so was the dish, my friends. So was the dish. Nor had it taste even touched my lips. Just the faintest of hints of its aromatic, spicy and very delicious smell. I mean, the macadamia nuts really made it pop, everybody. If you're not putting macadamia nuts in your curry, do it now. (laughs) Do it now. But nary had it touched my lips, then a foul burning consumed my body. A deep, a deep burning from navel... Two behind the navel. (laughs) The stomach region, if you will. And I was cursed. Cursed with a foulness that I will not repeat here, for it was not a healthy or pretty sight. Uh, But let's just say it kept the ocean fertilised. And... (laughs) 
And I think in this uncertain times, that is the most important lesson for all. So if you, uh, if you want a delicious dish, cinnamon, not for you. But if you want to keep our kelp supplies stocked up to the brim, then maybe it's worth taking a little trip down under the full moon and just asking anyone you see for a secret spice. Cinnamon, I guess. <laughs> Come on, Richie! Does he die? Does he die? Does he live? He lives. Oh, thank God it's Friday. <laughs> thank God it's Friday. <sighs> it's all the detail that you went into, it's isn't it? Where, where well, was it's it? a true story, yeah. you know. And, uh, that makes it really easy to recount. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very good. And very passionate about the use of macadamia nuts. Oh, you've you got to put macadamia nuts in. Oh, they just lift it right up. Yeah. I also work for Big Macadamia, and so <laughs> every macadamia nut you buy really just keeps yeah. me in this so I'm lifestyle. All, I'm all torn now because I want to make the dish, but I'm worried about the, the you know, the, yeah. co- the, the consequences because I don't want to get sick, but you've, you've tempted yeah, me. Yeah, That's yeah. very confusing. It's very confusing. very difficult. Uh, now, it's the end of uh, National Bird Week. So what's your favourite bird? What's your uh, least favourite bird? And are you on Team Noble Ibis or on Team Bin Chicken? Subby. Uh, well, first of all, my favourite bird uh, is the powerful owl. Mm. Uh, has anyone seen a powerful owl? It's a great, because it sounds great, it's got assonance, powerful owl. It's a good name, isn't it's it? It's a great name. It's, re- it's just crying out for a children's book, isn't it? The powerful owl who howled at the towel. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I would write that book if I wasn't so lazy. I would. I would definitely give would it a crack. It? Uh, yeah, it'd be easy. Well, if I wrote it, it wouldn't be many words in it, so it'd be easy. <laughs> So I love a powerful owl. I actually have one outside my What's house. What's he howling at? A towel? A towel. Well, it, why is he so dis, dis, discombobulated with the towel? I haven't fleshed out all the details, Richard, but it's it sounds... It's a stupid owl. It's, it sounds great. The, he's a powerful owl. He howled at the towel. I mean, he can do what he wants. He's a powerful owl. Powerfully stupid owl. I love powerful owls. I, saw, I had one outside my house that freaked me out. I was getting in my car and it, and it flew down and got in the tree and I was going to try to take a photo of it and then I started panicking that it was going to get me. Oh. I don't know if owls do anything but they just look, it's a big owl and it's got the big eyes on and I'm thinking, is that is it going to get me? And I ran, I literally ran away because I was getting ready to take a photo. I'm like, that, that's a powerful owl. <laughs> it's so powerful is a type of owl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what are its distinctive features? It's powerful. Big. It's big and power. Other than that. <laughs> it's I an owl. Like, is it emotionally strong? Is it courageous? <laughs> yes. Is it moral? What is it? I think it's it? just physically strong. See, I thought we'd moved away from things like powerful because when I was in... You don't know your owls. Well, no, I don't. But when I was in my local supermarket, do you remember when we grew up with delicious apples? Yes. Yeah. They were delicious. Yeah. And now because everybody's got to be egalitarian and everybody gets a medal for participating, no one apple is called delicious. It's, it's called delicious for rubbish. the Royal Gala yeah, or Royal something. Gala. Mm. Jazz. Who does jazz? Who doesn't like a jazz just, apple? But this is just so the other apples don't feel bad, <laughs> isn't it? And I thought that would have happened with the now owl. The pow- now the powerful owl is lording over all the other owls. Really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Living the dream, the powerful really? owl. Momentarily. The rest of the owls are quite miserable, though. Yeah. They think, oh, I'm not very powerful. No, no. no. Yeah. The weak owl. The weak I hate owl, the weak yeah. owl. Yeah. The weak yeah. owl is terrible. So you love the powerful owl. I love owl. the powerful what owl. Else? My least favourite, without question, uh, is the plover. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Yes, thank you, my friend. You've obviously experienced the plover. Uh, this is a very stupid, but makes the powerful owl look like, you know, Einstein. Because this, <laughs> this bird lays its nest on the ground. Right, it can fly. Just to clarify, but it lays its nest on the ground. So if you go anywhere near it, it goes nuts, and it goes for you. Okay, but you should be feel fellow sympathy for it because it's obviously lazy like you. No, no. Well, it's lazy. That's it. But it's not lazy when it's taking revenge on you. 
if you were in the vicinity, I had one chase me down the street as in, <laughs> in Townsville and it was just going me. And there's that thing, you know, having a kid growing up in Campbelltown, a lot of magpies, and if, you're, if a magpie starts to swoop you, you can wave your arm around and wave a stick and it, it, it'll stay up as long as you're looking at it. So I'm trying to do that with the plover, ignoring all that. They get, and what they do, they go very sort of WW2 style. They come down <laughs> to head level and then just come horizontal straight at you. So it just comes and there. And, and I still have issues today with all birds. Any bird now, it's like apex predator to me. I just freak out. <laughs> Any bird goes near me. Oh, what the hell? You know, like a pigeon, I'm freaking. I'm all twitchy. <laughs> Again, keeps the weight off, but I'm terrible. I'm... <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm that's what all the birds. That's yeah. what it Maybe is. Maybe it just thought you were a twig. <laughs> I don't care what it was. Why? And, and why have you got the powerful owl and you don't go, ooh, the powerful plover? Well, well, it's not powerful. It's annoying. Oh, I see. It, it, it is a different term. If I had the, if the, if, if there'd been a powerful owl nearby to take out the plover, I'd have been very happy. <laughs> Greta, Greta what are your favourite birds? Are you, are you ibis uh, friendly? Or, you know? Well, the rainbow lorikeets. Mm. Aren't they yeah, gorgeous? Yeah. Mm. They're together. They're happy. They chirp away. They add colour and movement to the sky. I love them. <laughs> they don't it, attack subby. They don't well. attack subby. Now, what are we going to do about the ibis or ibi? What are we going? What are we going to do with them? Because normally in nature, things are beautifully designed, mm. or if they're not beautifully designed, they have some sort of behavioural pattern that is charming. For example, the warthog. Some of you may not know this. Looks a bit silly, but when I was recently away, someone told me that their tails, because they run with their tails up, and when the leading warthog wants everyone to turn left, it turns its tail a bit to the left. So it's like an indicator. Like an indicator. So isn't that lovely? So the warthog is a bit ugly, but isn't that gorgeous? But the ibis rummages through garbage and looks like garbage. Oh, it's elegant in a way. What about that beautiful beak? It's perfectly purposed to get into a bin. It's true. But if we look at the seagull, for example, which has accessorised its feet to match its beak, red and red, you know, that is beautifully done. It's thoughtful, isn't it? Would it be wrong if we captured all the ibi... And coloured them. <laughs> Is that a bad idea? No, I mean, it's, it's a crime, but... If we all it. do it, what if it became... So like you, what, what, you it's not a crime. Yeah, we all do it. <laughs> It'd be silly not to, then, People's revolution is now. <laughs> well, I meant the state. I mean, don't you think they'd look so nice? So you they have red beak and red shoes? No, hot pink. Hot pink, wow. hot yellow. But that would be a flamingo, yeah, that's right. <laughs> there we go, that's change taken. its name. <laughs> I think I'm on to something. What do you think? You're a PR uh, genius. <laughs> Carla, Carla, what birds do you like? What, um, I think my, my favourite is the magpie, actually, the magpie. Oh. And, and, uh, it's a it sweet a, song, isn't it? It is a beautiful song. And it, actually an interesting thing about the song is one of the sort of leading experts in magpies is based at the University of New England in Armidale. Yeah, she's great, isn't she? Uh, yeah, Gisela Kaplan. Is yeah. it, and she found that... Magpies don't have individual names. They have names for their relationships. So each person, it would be like if we all had a name just for each other. So you don't have a personal name. Does that make sense what I'm so saying? So you and Gretel together so Gretel and are I would have Carl-El. A Carl-El. And then me and Subby together would be Carl B. Uh, or Subby. Well, it's very so Hollywood, isn't it? It's like Brangelina. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what they call and uh, two oh. friends of mine, they feed these magpies, and now those magpies have individual little couple names for that couple as well. So, one... What about when they break up? 
Well, then it's it's terrible. Then uh, <laughs> then, then then a song dies. Um, <laughs> mm. Now, mm. when they break up, this is true, true fact. When they break up, if you if a, if the male dies or is taken away or something like that, a new male, even though they're mate for life and they're very kind of yeah, uh, a new male will. Uh, Will approach the nest within two hours oh, and it's present like humans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just slick, slick back its head. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about him. <laughs> you try to bring a bit of orthological night. Who are the winners and losers of the week? Some of you. My winner this week. Uh, it's not technically this week, but it is for me because I've been watching uh, Sarah Kendall's show Frayed. Isn't it good? It's yeah. fantastic, and I think it got a bit of a bum rap on the critics because, but that's fair enough. Have different views, but this idea of oh, it's not sure if it's a comedy or drama. Very it's good. it's very funny. It's yeah. a comedy. It's very funny. It's got there's a little bit of dramatic tension, but that's all the great. But dramedies are that. good, aren't they? It's yeah. good to laugh. Yeah, that's is, what, and that's yeah. what makes all the great comedy. And it's, I was watching some last night, and I was laughing out loud. It's yeah. very very. It's funny. great. And if you were in Newcastle in and nineteen eighty nine set, I, I don't think Newcastle. If you've lived in the suburbs in Australia in the eighties, like a, that's that's an extra level because the it's. Just conjures up so many. Yeah, yeah. People are wearing shirts like that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly right. I know. I'll be raiding their wardrobe when they finish. (laughs) Again, a reminder that Subby is wearing a World War (laughs) One vintage T-shirt. But we get hung up on those labels. uh, Orange is the New Black was referred to as a comedy. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. So that's great. So that's Um, the winner. Who's the loser? The loser is the Australian Tourism Industry with philosophy. And on top of that. They just found uh, the biggest brown snake they've ever found, a two-metre brown snake in Queensland, and if tourists aren't going to be turned off by that, I don't know what's going to stop them. So <laughs> between those two things, they're in trouble. Grail, Colleen, who, who are the winners and losers of oh, this week? well, the winners, Matildas, the Matildas getting mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. How brilliant. Yes. That's a mighty fight they fought, yay. And uh, I'm the other winner. Uh, my computer went black screen today. I thought this is a disaster. I did not deal with it in an emotional way. I thought this is a problem. It will be solved. I rang everyone I knew. That's where I learnt they're all idiots. I said, what, what should I do? What should I do? And finally I rang these tech head friends of mine from the TV world. Press PR, control something, do this, do this, do that. None of it worked. And they said, well, go into the Genius Bar. And I thought, oh, he's going to have a connection there. You know, Mac, go into the Genius, Genius Bar. Genius Bar is where you go to Apple. Uh, yep. Yeah. The Apple go Bar, into yeah. the Genius Bar. And I thought, there you go. He's going to tell me who to see and it'll all be. And he said, go in there, lie on the floor and cry. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. And they fixed it. <laughs> it works. Yay. Yay. Gretel doesn't spark joy, she sparks panic. <laughs> uh, Carlo, who are the winners and losers of this week? I, I would say, actually, the Mongolian language. Um, <laughs> I, Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, this isn't a discovery. Discuss- you must have been relieved when the, the first two didn't mention it. <laughs> so, I was like, thank God, because I really thought this would be burning through everybody's mind. No, I just happened to hear some people speaking Mongolian today and I hadn't heard it before. And I was like, this is incredible, because it's, it's, it's got one of my favourite sounds, a uh, Vila fricative. So, you know, you know so you list, what? Uh, Vila fricative, the h, h sound. Uh-huh. And it's just a wild thing to hear in the wild, you know. Um, so they, they, uh, it's a guttural. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's like, yeah, it's the h. <laughs> they just say, yeah. But it's a very interesting sounding language when it's got a run on, and I encourage it. Do they speak it. much of it in Glen Innes? Oh, big time. We, <laughs> we came two votes shy of making it our town language. Um, Do you? Speak Mongolian because it's possible they just had a cold. No, no, it's a, it's, it's a thing. It also has the most beautiful script. Um, I just I was looking into it today. Um, it's the most beautiful script I've ever seen. It's like the, the a vertical 
Arabic. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. It's no, almost right. as good as macadamia nuts. Can you please thank Carlo Richie, Sophie Valentine and Gretel Colleen? Thank you for being part of Thank God It's Friday. Next week we have Alice Fraser, Wendy Harmer and Ellen Briggs. Music from Phil Davidson. Check out the TJF podcast, which now includes Tommy Dean's weekly letter from America. Until then, I'm Richard Glover and Thank God It's Friday! special Letter from America with Tommy Dean. Yes, it is now time for another Letter from America with Tommy Dean as our TJF regular returns home for a couple of months. But after two decades down under, can he ever fit back into life in the United States of America? Well, he's on the line again. Hi, Tommy. Hello to you. Is it still cold? Hello, Australia, is as it, they say. Is it here. cold, cold and getting colder? Well, it's it's delightful. I at first I thought I was scared of the cold, uh, but uh, the last couple of days I have really uh, gotten a kick out of watching the penguins frolic on the front yard. You're making that up. Oh, they're everywhere: penguins, polar bears, <laughs> ice caverns. <laughs> truly, truly, how cold is it? You haven't got snow or anything. Oh uh, no, it's too cold for snow at the moment. Uh, we are currently zero, looking at minus twelve overnight. <sighs> Wow. And, uh, like, it's the kind of cold, like, I've experienced it briefly on trips to Threadbow, but, like, today, like, my, my trash uh, delivery happens today, and it doesn't pick up till the afternoon. So about noon, I realized I'd forgotten to take the bin out. So I raced out, and by the time I got back, I was almost dead from exposure. <laughs> It's it's that thing where where you you know you might have a centimeter of your face that's not covered and it just ah oh, it's so painful isn't it? It's ice because you know the house is nicely warmed so you leave this perfect womb of home and then uh, and then it's just the deep icy cold of life. And what's worse is you know my bin is the size of a million dollar apartment in Australia. <laughs> so trying to drag that down to the end of the street to get rid of my. Uh, two tiny garbage bags. Do they have wheelie bins like they do here? Well, they're literally the size of, uh, like, there's like triple the size of a green bin. That's my bin. Is Do you sort, sort the recycling out into all the different things? So I've got a separate apartment that I keep all the recycling in. I have to wheel <laughs> that out every other week. Same system, just uh, unbelievably huge, as Is America it? loves to be. We love it huge. <laughs> Do you think that people throw out more stuff than they do here? Because here, you know, they've, they've shrunk the, the, the waste bin, and that's half the size of the recycling bin, isn't it? Agreed, and it doesn't seem to be scaled for family. So I think, uh, I think the bins here are designed, one, for the amount of cans that are generated by cooking in America. <laughs> <laughs> you have to account for those. And mostly it just feels like they just like really big things. There's no need to have a 64-ounce Coke, but they have that available to you in every service station. So I'm pretty sure that no one has ever filled their bin. <laughs> it's impossible. Do you really think they use more canned food in cooking? Without a doubt. Uh, with absolutely without a doubt. Uh, in fact, not just canned food in cooking, but even just the, you know, how the big joke in a, like Australian shopping is all of the two-for-one deals, especially the, the service stations and the corner stores, I'll try to get you to get two or three things. Yeah, uh, here uh, to get the discount, this, the, it's ten. <laughs> Buy ten. Buy ten. Get a dollar off. But what are people? Because you know, I, I, there was a time when we would have 
a canned asparagus here. I suppose you can still buy it, but people don't tend to do that anymore. If they if they want to put sweet corn into a stew or something, they will use frozen sweet corn, not canned, generally. Uh, generally. Uh, but I find that I just buy the fresh corn here, and by the time I get home, it's frozen. So it works out. <laughs> Works out cheaper, <laughs> and a little bit more, less packaging, less packaging. Uh, and plus, you know, the canned food drive, speaking of you know, that's also a big thing. At the moment, our school is collecting canned food to donate to charity. Yeah, you do have it here, but it's not a common thing, I don't think. No, it's very common here. And then they send home a note reminding you that uh, homeless people like things with a bit of variety as well. So maybe not just green beans, please. <laughs> Are you saying they have green beans in cans? Oh, yeah. Don't you eat green beans out of a can? Green beans out of a can are a staple of your meat and three veg here. Wow. I mean, maybe this is a product of, of winter and that in Australia there's always, you know, somewhere they're growing green beans, somewhere in the country, and so you buy them fresh. Maybe, maybe this is a product of the fact that they've got winters. I've never thought about it that way because we just uh, always had canned green beans. But when you go to the supermarket, you know when you go to Woolworths or Coles or something in Australia, when you first walk in with your trolley, there's that really big section full of green beans and lots of other stuff. Is is there a similar big fresh food place in every supermarket? Yeah, the layout is the same. Um, I mean, the stores are four times the size. Uh, The shelves are twice as high and four times as long. Uh, But the fresh food section is about half the size. (laughs) It's a very short trip through the fresh food section. Because <laughs> why would but you it, buy fresh beans when you could buy canned beans? Well, and because the canned beans offer a variety as well. You know, you can have uh, long green beans. You can have what's called uh, French cut green beans, which are green beans which have been basically split down the middle. Yeah, yeah. And you can have bean bits, which are beans that have been chopped up into tiny bits. <laughs> I am genuinely fascinated by this. Do you, do you think people think it's more convenient or cheaper? or I mean, why, why wouldn't you buy green beans if you could and just you know, trim the edges off yourself and steam them for five seconds? That's what I would think. But then I've noticed you would have to chew. <laughs> My theory is American efficiency with the canned food is it takes away a lot of the chewing. Yeah, It's not necessary because the beans come pre-mushed. So you just got to warm them like up, you, yeah? you steam your green beans too long, it takes like 10 minutes to properly squalify your beans to a level that the can has already done for you. So they just slide like, on or, down, do they? Yeah. Plus, you know, everybody here has an electric can opener. You don't even really want to put any effort into <laughs> opening the can to dump the food out to not chew the food. Is that bolted to the wall or what? No, it's like a, like a hand unit. It's about the size of a coffee grinder. Uh, to stay in shape, I bought one that's manual. You're a hero. Well, I just, you know, I keep it old school. What's the weirdest thing you've seen in a can? A uh, hamburger. Ugh. A full hamburger and a bun in a can. With the bun? With the bun. The entire burger and a bun in a can. Ugh. So one can per, one burger per can? Yep. Wow. Uh, there's cheese in a can, of course, the spritzing cheese, which is a big fan favorite uh, in America, especially around football season. Uh, cheese Whiz was the original brand name, but there are many uh, competitors now of aerosol cheese. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's unusual. Pretty much every meal, corned beef hash, a uh, variety of fish, uh, strange vegetables. 
You know this burger in the can, isn't the bread thing all soggy? Yes. You can't put something in a can and keep it snappy. <laughs> but it comes back to the fact that they don't have to chew. I mean, really, you know, it's, it's like an old joke in like World War II films and stuff. You can always tell the American spy uh, by the way they hold their fork and knife. Uh, but more common is the American use of the side of the knife as a cut. Like assuming right-handed, you use your fork to cut down into whatever you're eating and then also then stab it with the fork and then... So you do it all with the fork in your right hand. In other words, the food has got to be amenable to not needing a knife. Exactly. The knife is there so that your grandmother can yell at you about what side of the plate it goes on and then yell at you again for picking it up. Hey, don't make me wash those. The side of your fork is perfect. And we used to have uh, grapefruit spoons was the other one as well. Did you ever have, uh, they're like sporks, but sporks? Did you have sporks? Yeah, oh yeah, splades we called them. They were actually an Australian invention that you stole, but that's another argument for another day. Well, did you? I think maybe we just refined it because we didn't need the knife, so we took the aid off of it. <laughs> the splade is a spoon and a knife all in one. That's what I mean. I think with the knife side is dangerous. We just found that too many people were cutting their cheeks open. <laughs> so we so, just we just stuck to spork. Spoon okay. and fork is all the man. Oh, needs. okay. So a spork is a splade without the knife. Correct. I got it. Yeah. And but we didn't call them. We occasionally called them spork, but mostly you called them grapefruit spoons because you use that jagged, teethy edge to uh, eat grapefruit. What would you think of your life if you found yourself one day opening a burger in a can? <laughs> well, I've, I've only done it once for education purposes. <laughs> and I would think that uh, I was having some sort of amnesia or deep mental trauma <laughs> that I felt a need to do it a second time. Yeah. Things that are nostalgically beautiful, like uh, two-minute noodles, Two-minute noodles are a very popular thing in America, and it's the same in Australia. I've seen very much, you know, the noodle yeah. life is uh, an easy way to get by. But just the pricing, you know, you can, I can get a pack of 20 packs of two-minute noodles for $2. And you know your life's not going well when it's the no-minute noodle, when you're just eating them straight from the packet, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, especially if you're adding the powder. If you add the powder to uncooked noodles and can uh, attack that, Oh, you know, you know that you've come a long way. If you were to, to, to have two symbols of life not going well, what would be the better symbol? Burger in a can or uncooked noodles? No, uncooked noodles. Burgers in a can come at a price. <laughs> For one burger in a can, I can have 20 packets of noodles. Yeah. And frozen everything, too. The frozen food section is stunningly diverse. It's not just frozen pizza. I mean, all the frozen vegetables, of course, but uh, frozen pizzas, uh, burritos, uh, Chinese, full Chinese meals. Like uh, just the other day for fun, we bought a broccoli and beef packet. And all you do is put it in the pan for 10 minutes and suddenly you have uh, lowbrow Chinese food. We have that, though. We have frozen pizza and frozen Chinese meals. I mean, come on. I've never seen the frozen Chinese meals, but all right. I mean, like I've seen like cool frozen things like dim sims and spring rolls and dumplings, but like pretty much any meal you've ever had, you can also get it frozen. <laughs> In a tinfoil thing, so it's all the vegetables are there ready to go, like a TV dinner. Some like TV dinners. Some, you know, some people didn't like the sides were a little bit too high pollutant. So say Salisbury steak is a very popular sort of hamburger steak uh, in America. It's basically a hamburger that's been mixed with mushroom and salt and served in a brown gravy. It's called Salisbury steak, I think, is some sort of 
a cynical jibe at the fact that uh, the man can't eat steak, so he's made his hamburger look like it. Oh, okay. Poor man's steak. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, a staple of the American canteen system in schools, uh, in the school that I grew up in, Wednesday was Salisbury Steak Day. <laughs> you definitely wanted your dollar in your pocket for that. Where else could you get that much mushroom and onion stuffed into one bit of beef? That much salt in one mouthful. It's amazing. But they, uh, you can buy those by the packet. If you miss your school lunch days, you can get 10 of those for 5 bucks. And my other favorite one is called Steakums. U-M-M-S. Steakums. And Steakums is a very, very thin piece of meat that fries up somewhat like roast beef yeah. that you make sandwiches out of. But it's literally the Pringles of meat. Because it's thin like Pringles. Not only thin like Pringles, but probably formed in the same way. A large vat of vaguely meatish stuff <laughs> is pressed into a shape that's more meaty looking. Very much like the weird dehydrated potato is brought back to inspire the sales of the opera house. <laughs> oh, you're so lucky to be living there. Uh, you mentioned school. How's Asher going at school? It must be a college application time, mustn't it? It is college application time. I find everything too far ahead. Like we're only in the first half of the school year and, you know, he's only just been a couple of months into studying his senior year, but yet this whole month has been about applying to as many colleges as you can apply to, getting all your test scores sent. You got to get transcripts sent out. You got to get letters of recommendation from the teachers. And can I just say teachers universally underappreciated, underpaid, and I do not know how they put up with this month right here. Because mm. it's interesting because there's an argument at the moment in Australia, basically, to get into university, you've got to do well in the HSC and you get a single mark, an ATAR mark, and then, you know, it's all really most of the time down to that mark. And people saying, no, 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 we should, you know, m make it more complicated than that. The mark's only one part of it, that they have to go and do interviews and, and present activities that they've been in the bird club and the sporting club and the this and that, and they can play the oboe and they've done community service, and which is much more like your system, right? Very much so. It's all about ticking the boxes. Uh, what clubs uh, were you part of? What sports did you participate in? Uh, but most importantly, the box that they chase you after the most is, how will you pay for this, please? <laughs> Every single school that Asher has applied to uh, we have, before we got any notice of acceptance, we got a letter asking us to fill in the financial information. Proving you could pay for it. Proving you could pay for it. It all came down first to, well, we've got your application, so while we consider that, uh, could we see your financial history? Wow. Because, of course, there's no um, government, you know, in, in Australia, of course, there's the government student loans. You know, they, they give you the money and then you pay it back once you're earning. That's exactly what it's all about. They definitely, there's a whole series of organizations designed around getting you involved in the student loan program. And uh, your listeners may be aware that America currently, over the last 20 years, is suffering one of the highest levels of student debt burden in the world. Okay, but in Australia, in Australia, the, the money is supplied by the government and you don't pay it back until the point where you start earning, I don't know what it is, $40,000 a year or something. That's when you start, or forty five. that's when you start paying it back. If your income never rises that level, you never pay it back. Oh, see, that's a much more humane system. Our system is based on when you graduate. Mostly, there's some that start when you start, like a normal loan. There are some that start when you graduate. So once you graduate, you start paying it back. None have any guarantee whatsoever 
that you start earning money in any fashion, you just start accruing the debt and must pay it back and start suffering the penalties as soon as you graduate. The other difference is, is that the debts are really big, aren't they? Yeah, de- depending, of course, on, on the college, but the debts can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars. There are many, many cases of double and triple doctorates that people have because all they wanted to do was stay in school so the loan never triggered. <laughs> just keep studying. Yeah, you just keep studying. Until Grandfather Rockefeller drops dead. <laughs> yeah, my a friend of mine did eight years, eight years of academia trying to stay ahead of student loans until he could sort it out. And now he's a professor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the other thing I think about that is it must make people so conservative because you, once you've got your degree and you think, oh, I'm going to try to be a, you know, I'm going to try to be a writer or I'm going to try to be an actor. No way, because it makes you choose a conservative, high paying job and, and then makes you desperate to hang on to it. It is spooky. Uh, like I've got, a, I've got another friend who is a contract lawyer, uh, has been for a long time and does it very well. And she still has the specter of student debt crawling around the back. You'd think they could have sorted it out by now, but you know, life continues to be life. So houses and children and going about their days. Uh, and she's still fighting off this 30-year-old student debt that gave her her degree in law. 30 years later. 30 years later. Wow. I mean, she went deep because she was in a big school and that's law, but it makes you wonder why. In fact, that's the hard problem that we're having right now is uh, we visit the campuses and the campuses are nice and uh, you meet the teachers. We went and saw one last week and you go for a little visit around and think about what it would be like to spend your next uh, four to 20 years studying there. And then at the end, it's just like getting a menu. You can't believe the money. And I just keep telling my son, there's never been a tradesman in our family. Maybe you should... Think about that. <laughs> or come back to Australia, the little you, idiot, the little come idiot. Back to Australia, learn a trade. That's what you got to do. But he's uh, he's determined. We got his first letter this week, where the you know you get the big. It comes in a big A4 envelope, and you open it up, and in big letters, "Welcome, Asher. We here at the University of Memphis have accepted your application. We look forward to seeing you join us and to become a tiger." P.S. Tell your dad to send us some money. <laughs> and the idea is that kids would, would apply for like 10 of these places, see which ones they get and then assess which one they can afford and which one's the most prestigious, yeah? And that changes up to you. Kind of base it on your scores. Like you take your tests in your the end of your junior year or the summer between, so you have a couple of different marks that you can apply with. So you know certain schools just tell you don't even bother if your number isn't high enough. But, you, you know, you kind of pick the gauge of the schools you're after. But it's changed since I went to school. They now, most colleges charge anywhere from 25 to $75 just to apply. So it used to be you scattershotted and just sent it out to anybody that even was remotely like a school you wanted to go to. And now you have to factor in, you know, another thousand dollars per 20 apps and and, and how much would if you just did a an ordinary three-year arts degree like you might do at sydney university how how much would that cost Uh, it floats by credit hour and university but it's in somewhere anywhere you can go anywhere from you know low end would be 10 or fifteen thousand for a year up to you know 75 100 or more depending on the course but for early gens we're looking at about what he's sort of offered up it's already feels like, if I did the math right, uh, 35000 Per year or? Per year. Oh, yeah, for the first year. For the first year to get general ed. 
because the first two years are, you know, all your basic school stuff, English, math, finance. <laughs> That's what they should do. They should make every incoming college student study finance. Course one, loan repayment. Course two, eating from cans. Yeah. And course three, appreciating your parents. <laughs> Well, this uh, conversation has gone right round to understanding why you're all eating for cans. You can't afford anything else. Can't afford anything else. But as pointed out, I'm pretty sure it was a college engineer who invented the electric can opener and a food scientist who taught us how to put a burger in a can and certainly a marketing genius that taught us that two-minute noodles are a, a vegetable if you add the spice back. Tommy, we'll look forward to another report next week from the land of the Salisbury Steak. If, if it thaws out, I am telling you, by next week, we could be in blizzard conditions. <laughs> <laughs> we all said help. Send socks. That was Special Letter from America with Tommy Dean. And there will be another Letter from America with Tommy Dean this time next week. As we see whether Asher gets into college, Tommy manages to find the can opener and whether life can be survived. In conditions which are so cold, 